0: welcome to so many bits i'm your host bill nielsen and joining me from this palatial Voip line once again in the middle of the internet is cliff murphy cliff how are you
1: Hi, Bill. I'm doing pretty well, pretty well. It's nice to talk to you again.
0: It's good to talk to you, too. Yeah, it's uh, pretty hectic down here. You know, it's uh, about to be winter. The temperature is dropping. So, uh, you know, in in balmy Toronto, though, I'm sure things are, uh, you know, heating up.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, not too, too bad here. Uh, As we're talking, I'm in anticipation opening up a new tab and typing in Celsius to fahrenheit and now i think we can continue this conversation so uh today it was oh 62 degrees outside so it it wasn't actually too bad it was pretty nice temperature for this time of year
0: that's pretty good yeah and i see here it appears to be uh this is in fahrenheit it is 50 degrees fahrenheit here so all told not too bad
1: Okay, yeah, not too bad, still manageable. I did type that into my conversion though so I could understand <laughs> it. But yeah, that's not too bad. That's pretty good.
0: About the only thing I know for sure with regards to Celsius is 0 is bad, 30 is bad the other way.
1: 0 is bad, 30 is bad the other way. Yeah, 30 would be yeah, 30 would be a pretty hot day. That'd be like a summer day and 0 would be freezing. So, yeah different levels of goodness for those two temperatures.
0: No U.S. politician is running on the platform of converting to metric yet, but I think the fact that zero is freezing should be a compelling reason, honestly.
1: I would think that that would be compelling reason enough. Uh, From what I've come to understand, too, uh, when Celsius originally was coming up with his scale, he said, I know what we'll do. We'll set it so 100 degrees Celsius is the point at which water freezes and zero degrees celsius will be the point at which water boils and then i think after he died a bunch of scientists said yeah we'll, we'll switch that around <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh i had no idea about that that yeah what what, what, was, what was he thinking come
1: on i have no idea i do not know i don't actually know this has nothing to do with video games we're going down a different a different rabbiho. Uh sorry, did I say rabbi hole? I meant rabbit hole. Uh I heard I Rabbi also, Ho. Yeah. We're going to add a different rabbi ho. I also didn't know what the scientist's name was, so once again into Google I typed in John Celsius. And <laughs> that's not what his name is. His name is Anders Celsius.
0: Oh. Well you were half right. I would have yeah. guessed Jules Verne.
1: Jules Verne, the famous scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we've all learned a little bit about Anders Celsius here.
0: That's good. Yeah. In in addition to learning about meteorology, uh, later on in this episode, we're going to learn a little bit about Weston Tracy. Uh, He's our guest for this episode. Uh, He and his team at Starsoft are working on the game Savior that has just uh, wrapped up its Kickstarter campaign and they're now in the middle of development. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, Cliff. You and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care
1: about the outside, do you? I think we do.
0: And, uh, you know, Cliff, I think, you know, aside from like The Simpsons, maybe, this is uh, one of the the most popular cartoons of the past 20 years that you picked for us. What'd you pick?
1: I thought that we could uh, spend a little time talking about the South Park episode Make Love Not Warcraft. And if you're at all familiar with the television show South Park, chances are pretty good you may have also heard about this episode because it was pretty well known when it came out.
0: That's right, yeah. Uh, this episode originally aired October 4th, 2006. That was Season 10, Episode 8 and in fact won a primetime emmy for outstanding animated program of 1 hour or less
1: pretty pretty remarkable the whole uh, for those of you that don't don't know necessarily the whole premise behind this episode is that uh, uh, south park studios did a uh, a collaboration with blizzard using their world of warcraft engine to animate uh, the characters that were featured in the episode so they had you know all the regular South Park voices, like the voices of the, the boys in the show, but just uh, as if they were playing these characters in the game, uh, which is it was pretty, pretty smoothly done. Uh, even just watching it again recently for this episode, it's pretty slick the way they did it.
0: It really was. And I, and I think by this point, if you had been watching South Park, you were used to, I mean, for somewhat understandable reasons, like the production values were pretty low, like at one point earlier in the season, I believe they made a joke out of the fact that uh, there was a divine battle between heaven and hell, but they showed it all (laughs) off screen and had an angel describe it to the viewing audience. So we were, we were used to a certain uh, quality of these animations, but this was really good. It's like directly taken from the world of Warcraft universe.
1: Yeah. It's not only is it directly taken from that. They, I don't think they, uh, Made anything up necessarily for the show. like everything uh, yeah, the places that they referenced or the abilities or the classes or you know all the in-game features. I think that they tried to keep that all authentic.
0: That, that's how it seems. yeah. so why don't we just get right into it? That, you know the the way you know this is not an ordinary episode is right from the start, you're not in South Park, Colorado. you are in Azeroth and they're walking along and talking.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you know just set up with this like uh you know this gorgeous uh, in-game atmosphere uh, town following a, a dwarf characters walking along who then immediately says ah dude i just took the biggest crap and then immediately it's uh cartman's voice and then you know oh okay yeah this is yeah this is right
0: <laughs> right yeah and they've just started playing the game Their introductory adventurers. I guess they've been playing with each other all weekend long because, like, Stan's dad, Randy, stops by and gets chastised because he thinks Stan has been playing the game too much, but Stan disagrees.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You've been on that computer all week on, uh, why don't you go out and socialize? I am socializing. I'm logged into an MMORPG with people from all over the world, and we're gaining experience with my party using TeamSpeak.
0: You know, I, I feel like this conversation happens way more now than it did back even in 2006 with, like, Fortnite and Minecraft and all that stuff.
1: Ah, that's Interesting. Because it's it's the it's the sort of thing that nowadays it's kind of like oh yeah yeah you play games with your friends online like that's that's what happens but I don't necessarily know how maybe I am because I'm you know because I'm in that or at least I understand that I don't know how understood that is in uh, you know other groups maybe it's still something brand new that people just don't know that you go online and you play games with your friends and gain experience with your party through TeamSpeak. <laughs>
0: Let me walk that back a little. You know, I think you're correct that parents are f- more familiar now than they were in 2006. I, I guess like the just the general nature of the screen time argument is more prevalent now than ever before.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that definitely makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about it that that same way. Uh, but yeah, screen time for sure now. Uh, still a consistent. Uh, issue.
0: Well there is one outside force that would like the uh, boys to reduce their screen time I guess because there's this uh, this other player who keeps uh, killing them as they're trying to play World of Warcraft.
1: Some super high level uh, character going around able to actually kill players even though they haven't agreed to do a duel which I think Kyle as well mentions at one point. He says Oh, it's 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 fine if this guy's here. You know, you got to agree to a duel if he's going to attack you. But then he's able to kill everybody, uh, even without it, um, which is pretty interesting. I like the idea that. Um the the whole problem behind this it's not that necessarily that oh these these kids are playing this game so much and uh, uh, that's the real problem it's the problem that there's you know there's there's an issue in the game itself right and so an understanding of the game is necessary to know what the conflict is and what's driving people forward and why this is valuable to all the players there so compared to uh, video games depicted in Different, you know, in other television shows or things like that, is uh, you know just a a side note or or whatever you would have here in this episode specifically. It's all about the game, and it's treated really well, and the material is handled respectfully, and uh, the whole conflict is centered around the game and this uh, this guy who's killing characters, which is real super super cool.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that one thing that has maybe made me drift away from South Park over the years is like, I feel like in more recent episodes, the kids are just Trey and Matt. Like, they just say whatever Trey and Matt would say now. But at this point in their timeline, they're still like trying to approach it through the abstract of how would a kid think about this? Hmm. Like, their first reaction to trying to, this, uh, this griefer harassing them is to get a bunch of other kids to come play the game with them and to try and beat up this <laughs> griefer together.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that is a real good point because what's a kid going to do in this situation? They're going to get all their friends together and they're going to go and try and do it all together.
0: And that ends up being completely fruitless. Like they, they strategize together, but they the griefer ends up killing them all. Even Kyle's baby brother, Ike.
1: <laughs> no ike no <laughs> don't uh, gank the baby
0: <laughs>
1: is that what he says
0: <laughs> i wish no they, they should have had him say that that's that's our uh writerly edit for this episode that aired 13 years ago he, he should because yeah. you know he says don't kick the baby he should have yeah. said don't gank the baby
1: Yeah, well, let's hope that they uh, go back and retroactively uh, add in that small change. I think that'll make it just a little bit better. Maybe instead of getting that regular Emmy, uh, they'll get a a, a slightly nicer Emmy, you know? They try and kill this guy, and it doesn't work. And the kids become very discouraged, and Cartman comes up with the idea by saying, he's a very high level, and we can't kill him because we're not a high enough level. And Cartman says, but what if we were a high enough level? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they say, we can't get to a high enough level because he's not letting us finish quests. And Cartman says, that's why we stay in the forest, killing boars. And at this point, it's, it's classic Cartman here because it's a stupid plan that he's really thought out very well. Uh, Kyle says, boars only give you two experience each do you know how many boars we'd have to kill in order to get that high of a level? And Cartman says, yes, and reads out some number that starts with 65 million. (laughs) And then he's done the math to figure out how long it would take, and it would take about seven weeks worth of playing in factoring in three hours of sleep a night. And that, <laughs> now that they established that, it launches right into their training montage when they're playing this game more and more and more, and it's set to live to win behind. Uh, and you just see the kids all like training and very, like, just. Epic trading montage cuts to in-game scenes when they're just killing boars in the forest. And uh, people at Blizzard who are actually getting excited, saying, oh, they've gone up 30 levels in the past week. These kids must have absolutely no life.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, because, like, as an opposite of the tra- traditional montage, the kids' condition is, like, degrading. Like, they're getting acne, they're getting heavier, they're, like, they're... And it's, like, in c- comparison to, like, so you see, sometimes the grief, or you see like who is actually playing as that character, and they're an overweight middle-aged man. Now the kids are like beginning to look more and more like him as they play more.
1: Well, that's the only way to win the game is you have to become this guy who has no life. <laughs> uh, I do, I do like that observation too. I didn't notice it, but yeah, and normally in a training montage, you're going to expect people to get better and more like fit and more you know capable and these kids are getting more more capable in playing the game but their physical appearance is getting worse and worse and worse
0: right right and my only regret for this scene is like they have this song montage that i think originally came from team america world police (laughs)
1: It came from a season six episode of South Park called Aspen. Uh, I don't actually know if it was called Aspen, but they went to Aspen. I think it was
0: A-S-S-P-E-N is what it yeah, was called.
1: that's what it was. Uh, that's where the montage song came from first. It was in there, and then they used the same montage song in Team America.
0: And they could have reused it here. I, I guess it's just like, it's a good song. It, I think it covers, instead of... Shelling out the licensing for an actual song. use your own song. That's another note for this episode by the way.
1: That's another note. We have such good such good polite criticisms of an episode that aired 13 years ago. Uh,
0: they don't yeah. have the Egot yet. that's all I'm saying. They're, they want to get the Egot and they don't have it. so they don't
1: have it yet uh, but they have the Emmy because it's for this thing. Yeah uh, they have uh, the Tony they uh, do for Book of Mormon. Do they have an Oscar? Because they've done movies. Would they have won, like, for original song, maybe for the South Park movie?
0: They were nominated oh. that year. They, okay. I remember they even did a live presentation of Blame Canada mm-hmm. for the Oscars, but they did not win that year.
1: Oh, okay. And then uh, a Grammy, I guess they wouldn't. Oh, okay. Clock's are ticking, guys. <laughs> Clock's ticking. <laughs> oh, my God,
0: an Emmy and a Tony. Come on, what are you doing?
1: So the guys get real, real, super good, and uh, they go off and they start doing this battle with this uh, with the guy. We'll call him the Griefer, as you were, Bill. And while this is happening, stand Stand Randy, is uh, approached by a couple of guys who work at Blizzard, and they have this uh, legendary sword which was like locked away. ...on a USB key in a drawer. (laughs) And uh, it's supposed to be this legendary sword, the Sword of a Thousand Truths, uh, which uh, they need to bring to Stan in order to help him defeat this guy. Now, uh, Bill, I haven't played World of Warcraft, so I have no idea if this sword is good, but I wrote down the stats on this uh they say that it it does 120 dps with instant mana burn and an enchantment that boosts stamina plus 80 i have no idea if that's good is that good
0: i don't know either it sounds really good because like dps is short for damage per second so that's got to be 120 damage i mean i don't know how much hp these characters have but it feels like it's got to be a lot
1: It feels like it's got to be pretty good. I mean, as soon as Stan used it in the show, they made an observation, something like, oh, his shields are down, so I guess maybe maybe it's the instant mana burn that would also... That, to me, implies you hit somebody with it, they lose their mana immediately, uh, which does, in itself, seem overpowered. And stamina plus 80... I have no idea how much normal stamina a character is going to have. Four? <laughs> I don't know. Plus 80 in that case is huge improvement, right? But yeah, I don't know how good of a sword that is. But I guess it's the, it's the sword that they need to defeat this guy. And uh, defeat him they do.
0: They do. And uh, the tension of Randy trying to get the sword to the boys. Have you seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs?
1: I have, but I've only seen it once, and it was a number of years ago. So you may need to remind me.
0: There's just there's a scene in there where uh, the scientist guy, whose name I admittedly forget, he is trying to get the uh, deactivate the weather machine that's shooting raining food down on the town, and he right. needs his dad to go to his PC and email him a file, and the dad <laughs> is like. This complete Luddite who hates computers and runs a tackle shop. So, when they're talking on the phone, like the, char- the dad's character's eyebrows cover his eyes. But then, when the scientist is like, You have to email me the file and send it to my phone, okay? And the dad's eyes just like widen and the eyebrows shoot up, and you could actually see his eyes. He's like, Yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs>
1: uh, so, exactly like that. Because that's what Randy's doing. Uh, The Blizzard employees even say we can't trust the sword of a thousand truths to a noob. (laughs) But yeah, Randy gets it and he brings it into the game. And then just in the moment he's supposed to hand it to Stan, he doesn't know how to hand it. He says, (laughs) "So how do I hand something to you?" Stan's like, "Open up your inventory, Control I." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just in the in the animation
0: like they're both standing there with their hands out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, those animations are real super good. Like, they're the, the characters' mouths are moving. Uh, their movements are. You know, very fluid. It's it's really it's very well done. It looks like exactly what you would imagine it would look like uh, in game, which is pretty cool. And so,
0: after they uh, defeat the the griefer and bring freedom back to the uh, World of Warcraft servers, like what do they do? Uh, how, how, does, how does the episode wrap?
1: Well, it finally ends. They uh, they kill the griefer. And uh, the boys celebrate, and very much, they're all leaning way back in their chairs, and they celebrate by going like, yay. (laughs) And then uh, uh, one of them says, uh, uh, well, what do we do now? And Cartman says, what do you mean? Now we can play the game. (laughs) And then they immediately go back into the same Uh, style of conversation they were before uh, talking about how they need to do different commands and things like that. Like it absolutely brief moment of celebration and then immediately back into playing the game, uh, which is what the whole episode was about is they just wanted to play this game and the the quest that they had to go on to defeat this guy so that they could play this game.
0: Well, Cliff, it feels like at this point, maybe we should uh, rate this episode uh, as with all of our screen-watching topics, we rate on three categories. Those are accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. And just like with any uh, video game, we do it on a scale from 6 to 10. Uh, so <laughs> with, uh, <Okay>. a- <laughs> with accuracy, uh, we're going to rate from uh, 6 being completely inaccurate to 10 being lifelike accuracy. How would you rate this episode of South Park?
1: It's uh, in terms of its uh, understanding of the, the the game and the fact that they uh, you know they worked with the company to make this and they incorporated all these assets from the game and they used the language of the game uh, it's just absolutely 10 out of 10. If you're looking for an episode of a television show that uh, involves you know involves video games in some way or another then this is going to be the episode like it's very 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 well done so 10 out of 10.
0: Yeah, I mean, a 10. It has to be a 10. This is, uh, I mean, with the South Park typical humor in there as well, I mean, this is as much of an integration of a video game into a, uh episode of any TV or movie that you'll see. So, I mean, uh, it's really, really impressive, the fidelity. And, like, especially given knowing, like, how little time they have to turn these episodes around, like, how much detail they were able to pile in there. So, yeah, 10.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely.
0: Then next up is condescension. So if you found this to be completely uncondescending towards gamers, give it a 6. If you found it to be extremely condescending towards gamers, give it a 10.
1: Uh, I found it to be as uncondescending as you could possibly be. So I guess a 6 then, I suppose. Uh, As low as it could possibly be. Um, Simply because it... They do a very good job of explaining and introducing all these different ideas as things are going, like even Stan explaining to Randy at the beginning what it is, and then uh, explaining some of the things in game and all these different things that they do. They explain things very clearly, but even with that, like knowing the game or knowing some things about it just makes it all all the better of course there's just the there's the beautiful moment when the you know the villain is just revealed to be the older sweaty guy in his chair who's leaning back right like it's just it's it's uh it's perfect in perfect south park fashion that uh everybody is skewered in this episode so i i i don't think it's condescending at all i think that it's i think it's wonderful
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I have to go with a a seven here, just because I feel like maybe if there was a way they could show a a healthy lifestyle of playing the game and like maintaining your life, that might have been something notable there. Where it's like, yeah, these kids got like corrupted in some way by having to try and beat this other guy who had no life. But like, there's no uh, other balance of that where you see like they they kind of talk a little bit about how they they can't like the Blizzard's employees can't oppose this griefer because they have lives and so they can't like play the game enough to level up and win but just a little bit more of a balance on that I think would have made it perfect so i have to go with a 7 sure and lastly entertainment so if you found this to be completely unentertaining give it a 6 and if you found it to be completely entertaining give it a 10
1: I, again I got to go with a 10 out of 10. I mean I mean I love this show in general, but uh, this is this is one of the best episodes of the show too and it's uh, it's it's uh, so clever and entertaining. I think that anybody who even doesn't play the game is going to enjoy it. And like, I've never played World of Warcraft, um, but I still enjoy it. And I still, you know, appreciate everything that they're doing in there. Uh, So absolutely 10 out of 10, super entertaining.
0: Yeah. I would have to go with the 10 as well. I mean, uh, you do have to be aware. There's a little bit of (laughs) a gross out humor here and there in the episode, but
1: (laughs) yeah, sure. Right. It's South Park.
0: Yeah. It's still South Park, but in terms of like their skewering of Warcraft and like the, the humor they find with, like, the boys exploring that world, I think was really good, and I can see why it won an Emmy.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Have you looked at the list of episodes that win Emmys, by the way, for, like, Best Animated Program?
1: Uh, no. What would I see if I were to look at that?
0: Practically every other year or more, The Simpsons are winning for one of the episodes they put up. It feels like that... Can't possibly represent like the actual distribution of good or the best episodes across all animation.
1: Really, it's always The Simpsons, eh? That is very interesting. Now, this is uh, this is primetime Emmys, right? Uh, this is primetime Emmys. Okay, episodes of The Simpsons every single year, and there's a bunch of episodes of The Simpsons. Like, I mean, uh, 1997, it was uh, Homer's Phobia. That's the one with uh, uh, John. Uh, yeah,
0: John Waters got started, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, and then the next year it's another Simpsons episode, uh, Trash of the Titans, and then, oh no, it's back in King of the Hill. Yeah, but it is The Simpsons. Interesting. The Simpsons behind the laughter won an Emmy in 2000. That's interesting. Uh, I thought that episode was just fine, but I would not have picked that. That is very interesting. Oh, the Simpsons parody of Flowers for Algernon when Homer has the crayon in his brain? That won an Emmy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our episode of Wikipedia Crawling when Bill (laughs) and I look at a Wikipedia page and just read what we see. Uh, But that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, the Simpsons is winning a ton of Emmys. That's crazy. They,
0: They even won this year. They won in 2019 for this episode, Mad About the Toy. I have no idea what it's about, but... They won. And, I mean, like, I feel like this year Adventure Time had its fam- finale. Steven Universe put out a ton of great stuff, and I'm sure there are plenty of other really good cartoons out there. It feels like, come on, let's, let's expand the pool a little bit. Okay, I can't here... even
1: remember what we were talking about before we were on this. <laughs> this is all <laughs> I can think about now.
0: Here are the nominees from 2019. The okay. Simpsons episode, Mad About the Toy. Yep. Come along with me from Adventure Time, which is the finale. Yep. The, the Planned Parenthood show from Big Mouth. Have you seen Big Mouth?
1: I have seen Big Mouth. At the Planned Parenthood episode, I think, is the one that had the multiple different storylines that all ended up with. Uh, they all ended up at Planned Parenthood.
0: Just one of the boys for now, for now, Bob's Burgers. Have you, have you mm-hmm. watched that by any chance?
1: Uh, I haven't seen that one. Uh I love Bob's Burgers but I don't think I've seen that one.
0: And then lastly Free Churro from BoJack Horseman.
1: Uh yeah, I don't think I'm caught up to date. Uh good job, uh Netflix for two originals on there, eh?
0: Yeah, I I did see that episode. That that is that's a really good episode of BoJack Horseman.
1: Uh Pickle Rick from Rick and Morty won an Emmy last year in 2018. <sighs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. Uh Pickle Rick, eh? Well, well, what do we know, right?
0: <laughs> I guess not. I, g- yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know what I don't know about this, I guess.
1: I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So and at I this guess point.
1: That's, that's really all you could say is just, yeah.
0: Cliff, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at this point, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back. I'm going to be talking with Weston Tracy over at Starsoft. Okay. And we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Weston Tracy. Uh, Weston is the project lead over at Starsoft Entertainment on their upcoming game, Savior. Uh, Savior just went through a successful Kickstarter campaign, and they're currently in the trenches on development. But thank you so much for your time, Weston. Happy to be here. I think just uh, first off, it's probably best if you gave like a one to two minute introduction to uh, what Savior is.
2: Yeah, I still haven't quite uh, nailed this down yet. Savior is a Metroidvania, a 2D action platformer, and it's a game about repairing a broken world. Uh, You play as a young woman with sort of innate parkour and combat skills, but have no memory or idea of how you fit into this world. So you're discovering facts about yourself and the world around you and you slowly start to piece together relationships and help the people you meet to rebuild their world. The primary issue that you have to overcome is that the society you encounter is split by an ideological divide. It's kind of your job to reconnect them and overcome that divide, so. And there's dragons and robots and (laughs) lots of fun melee combat.
0: One of the images on the Kickstarter page is of a mock-up of a Super Nintendo box for Savior. Or, I'm sorry, a box that resembles but is legally distinct from a Super Nintendo box. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it says the image below is just to pay homage to our inspiration. Uh, What would you say are like the inspirations for Savior?
2: A lot of the real inspirations for me were on the NES but then their super reincarnations were also very impactful so it's like the Zelda and the um uh, like link to the past and and super metroid are huge influences on kind of the game structure and the graphics uh obviously it's a saviors a pixel art game trying to keep as close as we can to the kind of nostalgic feel of a Super Nintendo platformer. But we clearly have broken a lot of the restrictions by adding tons of frames to the animations and lots of parallax layers and stuff. But we're trying to keep the kind of feel of it, like the color counts and the the resolution. I think our resolution is actually lower than Super Nintendo. But we're trying to do whatever we can to add depth and interest to the game while still having it appeal to that 12 or 14-year-old kid that, first played super nintendo Uh, speaking of myself
0: now now you mentioned the uh the fluidity of the animation which for me at least it reminded me of like the prince of persia game that i mean it first came out on pc and then it came to the super nintendo and like how they accomplished that of course was like they literally recorded someone on video and then like rotoscope that later. I'm, I'm guessing you're not doing that in uh, 2019. So like what kind of tools do you have now to accomplish that, that kind of, uh, I guess, again, fluidity to the uh, acrobatics that uh, the protagonist goes through?
2: So foolishly, I'm animating. The character moves entirely by hand without any assist and just kind of trial and erroring it because I don't really have that much of a, animation background i've been in an industry for a long time but it, i've been a 3d modeler and 2d background artist mostly so the animation stuff has been a bit of a learning curve but for the bigger stuff like the dragon and the robot we built 3d guide models that we animated in 3d and using all the tricks and tools of that and then rotoscoping over the uh the guide model so but for the characters, we haven't used any human actors at all. We probably should, though. <laughs> probably would have saved us time.
0: I re- I recall reading that this start- started out originally as like a hobby. Is that correct?
2: I don't know if hobby is the right word. I wanted from the beginning have a serious, you know, full time game project that was a Metroidvania, and I mean that this genre is just always massive, so it was always intended to be a full skill. Game team, but it started. I didn't start with any funding, I just started making assets. And and then quickly, a friend of mine came on as a programmer, and another friend came on as a concept artist. And we sort of started building the team, but we didn't really get any funding until years into it. So, and then it was only enough really for us to just work more, but not really, definitely not for all of us to be full time. We just finished our kickstarter so now we have more fuel to drive the engine yeah for for years it was uh, just a nights and weekend kind of thing
0: this might be a good opportunity to talk a little bit about the rest of the starsoft team in addition to yourself
2: so sam is the lead programmer he's been on the project the longest uh, then rob is our concept artist and he's came on after, just after sam and probably the third longest then our, our composer Ben, who did the trailer music, uh, he came on actually. Our writer Milo's, he was, he's been me and him have been batting the idea around forever. We haven't really needed much writing, uh, yet, so he hasn't had an opportunity to really work on the project too much, but he's been sort of in, in the background consulting for the whole time. Um, and then uh, another programmer came on recently, Marlon, who's been a great help, project uh, management. Uh, he's got a lot of. He works for the DoD during the day, and he manages teams for the government. So he's a lot of project management skill.
0: Yep, I guess so. Jeez. Oh,
2: <laughs> and he's a, a great programmer too. And then uh, Dan Adelman came on a year and year and a half ago, and he's an ex gatekeeper at Nintendo for nine years, um, shepherding uh, indie titles onto. the uh, the Wii, the Wii U, and, and the Switch, I think. He's kind of a freelance business guy, and he's worked with Axiom Verge, and Chasm, and Mages of Australia. So we're the fourth game that he's sort of taken on as a business advisor. Our sound guy, his resume is nuts. He's been working at Skywalker Sound for like 20 years, and so he's worked on every giant blockbuster movie. He was the sound designer on Black Panther and Winter Soldier and, you know, like, just half the Marvel movies. And he just happens to live in Portland, and we're just super lucky to have him. Look for some crazy cinematic sounds. <laughs> uh, sound uh, design on, on Xavier. Uh, and then we've, we've picked up a couple new animators recently, Sean and Armando, and they've been great additions. Sean actually has, like... He, A real animation background. So it's kind of great to have him on there to take what I've done and take it to the next level.
0: All these people, they sound like they're, they're veteran talents in their respective industries. And you just, you were able to connect with them all just from your own prior work history or like this person knew another person and it all just came together that way.
2: Yeah. So I, I, um, I used to work with Rob at Sierra and then we both went to LucasArts So I've known him for a really long time. Sam worked with me on my previous game that I did with a friend of mine. I had a company with a friend, uh, Brian Ramage, and we put out a game called Metal Drift. And Sam uh, did the AI for that game. So I've worked with him quite a bit. And then I think everyone else, Milo I've I've known for a long time, but I haven't worked with him before, really. And everyone else just kind of saw the gifts that we were putting up and asked if we needed help and just came on. I I reached out to Dan um, because he had such a great reputation as a business guy and we desperately needed somebody who knew the business of making games better than we did. So, but yeah, it's been an incredible experience having people just kind of come out of the woodwork to help us because they liked what they saw.
0: Digging into some of the uh, older posts about the game, I noticed that it used to be titled Into the Rift. Is that accurate? Yes. Uh, when, when did that changeover happen?
2: I think it was like six, six or eight months ago. At least that's, that's when we announced it, I think. I'm kind of just guessing at that, but it hasn't been that long.
0: And did that change like indicate like a larger shift in the overall direction of the game, like in terms of the, the people power behind it, in terms of the game design?
2: Into the Rifts was kind of a working title. It always felt a little cumbersome to me. I never really wanted it to be the, the final title, but we are looking to get a copyright for it. Or, yeah, trademark copyright?
0: I always mix those two up. Um, I, I don't know either.
2: <laughs> and saw that there was a lot of legal kerfuffle around the word Rift uh, when it came to game properties. That was kind of the the last straw, and I was like, "Okay, let, we got to come up with a new name." So it was Dan that actually came up with the name Savior, and it's, it seemed to fit really well. So we went with it.
0: Having seen what's uh, been shown of the game in the the different trailers, I mean, two things uh, jump out to me at least. There's the the movement. And then also the weapon. The main character, Sam, she's using the staff. You know, normally i expect in a lot of action games people use like a sword. What, what, what inspired the choice for using like a staff as the default combat weapon that we're seeing?
2: It was a real conscious choice. I didn't realize when I went that direction how many ass-kicking women there are with staffs. I come from a background in Aikido, which is a sort of non-violent Japanese martial art, but staff is one of the weapons or maybe not Not non-violence, not the right word, uh, defensive.
0: It's like about using your opponent's strength against yeah, them, right?
2: Yeah. Step one is getting out of the way. Step two is kind of going with them in the direction they're going and then step three is kind of leading them in a new direction that often involves a wrist throw. <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted the hero <laughs> of the game to not kill anyone and so... The real influence for the decision comes from the stereotypical Shaolin monk who uses a staff, and specifically because it's not a necessarily a lethal weapon. I mean, you could do a lot of damage, but if you hit somebody anywhere, you know, but the temple, you're not going to kill them. You're just going to dissuade them from attacking you. <laughs> you know, I like the, the Batman and Superman uh, ethic of not killing your enemies. And a big part of Savior is, like, everybody is savable like you can talk to them and figure out where the divide is and reconcile like everybody in the game that's hostile to you at the beginning you can turn turn into a, a an ally or friend and if you kill them that makes it pretty difficult so it's in service of the overall plot and theme of the game
0: there's the what appears to be the end of the trailer like it, it reaches a crescendo and then afterward it has uh, Sam like helping the other enemy soldier up. And it's like, oh, okay, that, yeah. that's different. I didn't expect that direction for the game.
2: One of the things that we want to do that, that I haven't seen much if at all in this genre or maybe much in games in general is just that NPCs will kind of keep track of their interaction with you and they'll change their their behavior towards you. So if you knock them out and they see you again, they're going to be enraged. And then if you knock them out again, <laughs> then they're going to be wary. That's that's one path. You could just like beat them into submission. Uh, another path is you can let them wear themselves out. Different paths will, will lead to the opportunity for a conversation. And then we'll have very simple and uh, sort of utilitarian dialogue trees where you can win people over and get new information. And, and there'll be a number of payoffs to having conversations
0: one other thing that stuck out from the trailer was there was an effort it appeared to have in-engine cinematic moments Uh, i mean like when uh you know sam runs off the cliff and the the dragon swoops in underneath or uh someone falls into the cave and there's like a a statue there that appears like it's going to catch that that falling person like with these like is that something you hope to carry over into the game as well where there's like kind of a directorial element to uh yeah i'm a big fan of that stuff
2: um so it's it's triggered in in engine it's i don't like cutscenes, but i do like cinematics like i don't like taking control away from the player but there are moments where it's kind of expected that you don't have control so if you are able to dodge an arrow right when it's fired, the arrow will slow down, and whatever dodge you use to get out of its way, that animation will be slowed down. And so you'll have, I don't know, five seconds or three seconds of slow-mo there. And then uh, whenever you fall down the rift... We still have the rift, even though we're not calling the game into the rift. Once you fall down the rift and and the city of Bastion is revealed, there'll be there'll always be a slow mo there. I also want to do some cinematic stuff. We haven't gotten to this part yet, but um, there's going to be a long false sequence that's in the trailer as just a woman falling. But when the when you as the player falls, I want to do some memory flashbacks and some musical. Like ramp up the music and have a real cinematic moment. I love directors like Michael Mann does this a lot, where he'll just like stop the plot and the actors or the main characters are just like driving a boat across the Caribbean for you know thirty seconds to a great score or or whatever. Like he does this in Heat and the Miami Vice remake, and there's a great sequence in Ghost in the Shell, the anime movie where they just stop the dialogue and just go into a beautiful piece of music and there's this violent car chase, but the music on top of it is just beautiful. And I love that stuff. so I, I want to try and work it into the game. And then, you know, when you jump off a cliff onto a, a, the dragon, that'll all, always be a slow-mo too. And there'll be some, you know,
0: exciting music. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it exactly. I just I noted that you know there's voiced dialogue in the game, but when the music comes in, there's a a voxel. I, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm using the wrong term, but there's a an electronic voice doing the like the opera the operatic moments in that. Uh,
2: oh yeah. It- Uh, We didn't record any of that. It's all samples.
0: I want to ask more about the story and the characters. I feel like, though, there's probably not much you can say about it just yet.
2: Yeah, it depends on your question. Please ask questions and I'll tell you if I can answer or not.
0: I I guess just what can we expect personality-wise from Sam?
2: I picture her as being real curious and defiant and fierce and compassionate, hyper-reasonable is. I mean, kind of the the crux of the game is trying to cut through the dogma of the top world society and illustrate the, the flaws in, in their thinking and their devaluing of non-believers and that kind of stuff. So she has the capacity to challenge these ideas and do it in a way that isn't confrontational. I mean, it, it's confrontational to some degree, but uh, as... as with a, a layer of understanding and empathy it's a bit of a tight tightrope walk there's a method of engaging belief called street epistemology that i'm a fan of where you don't you don't directly disagree with somebody's belief but you ask questions that are illuminating to their the reasons for their belief and that stuff is super interesting to me so i i wanted to incorporate it into the game. We're getting it in there now to more of a degree and it's going to be a bit of a puzzle to make sure that it's super fun. Like I I've played so many games where dialogue trees and stuff are a little rough. I think we can make it fun.
0: So I guess just uh one other thing, one other serious question I have is uh the game is uh it sounded like it was currently on track for 2022. With regards to that, how do you plan out a timeline that far down the road for uh, Savior?
2: I have a 90-page design doc, and I have a lot of the big picture stuff sort of r- roughly mapped out. I like to t- sort of give myself arbitrary um, constraints, like we're going to have eight zones and you know so many bosses and so many quests, and then just restrict the game to that. So that makes it easier to come up with a a schedule and a budget, but but I mean, the nature of good di- game design, I think, is is that it's fairly spontaneous and yeah, you, you, you don't really know where it's going to end up because some things are going to work once you actually put them together, and and some things aren't, and you just unless you are some kind of super genius, <laughs> like I think I definitely need to play things and feel it and see if it's worth working or not. And then I need other people because I'm way too close to the project. I need other people to weigh in and then reevaluate. But we we do our best to evaluate the the budget based on what, what information we have. And we know what games like this size cost generally and how long it takes generally given the number of people we have. And uh, it's a bunch of different factors and there's a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of talking to each other because we all have different backgrounds and different experience so yeah I think things will will definitely change somewhat over time but we think 2022 is pretty safe but who knows lots of things can happen in two or three years
0: absolutely yeah well we will look forward to seeing how the project grows and I'm sure you're gonna definitely still be in touch with people as things develop
2: we, we're gonna be doing monthly um, backer updates for Kickstarter backers for sure and then that'll trickle out to Twitter and Facebook. I guess half the fun for us is being able to show stuff that we're working on.
0: Now before we uh, bring this this, uh, chat to a close, I did have a couple final questions. First of all one of the stretch goals listed on the Kickstarter was a dancing minigame and so I, I don't know if that's still something you might explore down the line depending on how things break but can you tell me how you imagined that would work within the game?
2: I've been dancing salsa for like 20 years. I, I'm a big fan of dance. I would love to have a salsa minigame, but I th- that would be an, an, another level of complexity. But so the idea was that you'd go into a, a secondary control scheme when you hit like the dance buttons and then it would be just a kind of context sensitive input model and then depending on when you launched each move you'd get points based on how close to the beat you were and then we'd set up a scoring system based on what moves worked together with other moves and like we'd weight it based on how much you used some moves and there'd be a couple different metrics that would determine how how good <laughs> you were dancing and then i think the fun part would be having people react to your skills and then the, uh, uh, having a dynamic music track that would change based on how well you were dancing so you get new instruments would come in as you demonstrated your your mad skills and i i lo- love the idea of like some soldier coming up to you with like a lot of hostility and then you just start doing your your thriller <laughs> recreation and you know, totally diffuse the situation.
0: I mean, you just have to be careful because, I mean, you know, this is you were talking about how you don't want this to be a game where people can die, but I mean, a severe enough dance move can cause someone else's soul to escape <laughs> from their body. So, just uh, I, it would be tough, is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. That's my that's my uh, two cents. My design yeah. theory. You got to be careful. And lastly, uh, these this is a, a set of uh, questions I ask all of my guests on the podcast because I feel like there's a shared community knowledge of Pokemon on some level. Either you've played the Game Boy games or you watched Uh the anime, Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. Or you've played Pokemon Go. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll get through this together. Uh, Okay. (laughs) uh, If there was one Pokemon you could have as a pet, one Pokemon you could be and one pokemon you could eat what would they be
2: <laughs> i'm embarrassed to say this is going to this is going to destroy any street cred i might have had but i i think i'm only aware of pikachu
0: well would you be okay having pikachu as a pet
2: i think so the lightning would probably get uh frustrating that's i've had i had every pet you can imagine uh growing up so now i'm kind of i've, just, I've pet P- ptsd but yeah a talking shock mouse would be a pretty awesome pet. I actually had a chinchilla as a pet, which seems like the closest thing to Pikachu.
0: Did the chinchilla ever say chinchilla to you?
2: No, no. It would just bite me anytime I tried to touch it. It was not actually a great pet, but it was very soft.
0: This is going to be a very nice Pikachu that does not bite, does not shock you. <laughs> it's very, very gentle. Yeah,
2: yeah sounds good. I, although I, I'd have to pick a different, um, Pokemon to eat because you don't, never want to eat your pets.
0: No, no, and and if you like, you could eat the byproduct of a Pokemon as well. For example, like uh, you know, there are cow Pokemon. There's like a milk tank or that makes milk.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm a big fan of milk. So <laughs> let me go with that one.
0: All right, and you could be a Pikachu too, or you could be there. There are lots of different options. You could be a floating sword. There's a floating sword Pokemon.
2: Is there one that just like sits
0: and doesn't do a whole lot yes there is it is called (laughs) slacking it is a it looks like a giant sloth and in the game its mechanic is it can only do a move every other turn
2: that sounds like me all right i get a lot done but i don't move very much
0: (laughs) Uh, weston thank you uh so much for your time i I really appreciate you uh stepping away from the, the project to uh chat with me uh, if you want people yeah. to get updates on the game or just uh, connect with you, uh, how can they do that?
2: Uh, yeah, so Twitter's a good place to go. I am PDX on there uh, for now. We're still trying to get a name that's more related to Starsoft or Savior, but uh, PDX is what I'm called on there now. And then um, if you search for, I think it's Facebook slash Savior Game. On Facebook, and then we have a Patreon. That's Patreon slash Starsoft. Any of those?
0: Yeah, that's right. If you, if you missed out on the Kickstarter campaign, and you would like to still financially uh, support this project, Savior, yeah, you go to Patreon, and and you have a uh, contributions there, and you're doing like dev blog posts there too, right?
2: We've taken a break when we did the Kickstarter. I I wasn't updating there so much, but uh, all the all the uh, contributions we get from Patreon we will count towards our Kickstarter uh, backer rewards. So the accumulated monthly contribution will also get you demos and a very high-res map of the world at different levels. So yeah, check that out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And we are back from break one more time. Big thanks to Weston for his time and uh, looking forward to Savior when it is able to come out. Cliff, at this point, usually we're about to wrap up the episode, but there is is one more thing we have to handle here.
1: I think it is something that you are legally entitled to do.
0: (laughs) It is within my rights to exert control over the podcast to have one Bill's Magic Minute per episode.
1: Okay, well, uh, everybody knows that I am good at going to new tabs and opening up something. I'm going to open up a new tab and type in one minute timer.
0: In one moment. Cliff, I have 26 seconds to talk about my topic, this card, magic card, Oko. So I am ready when you are ready.
1: All right, uh, let's see, 26 seconds. Okay, I'm putting it on the clock. Okay, whenever you're ready.
0: Oko was a mistake. It's clear now, based on its performance in Modern and Pioneer, in addition to Standard, that Oko should not have been printed so powerfully, and I am concerned that it leads to a couple of bad tendencies. Either it is an intentional power-level creep caused by Wizards, or it is going to lead to more bannings coming down the line. Now, at this point, no one has chosen to ban...
1: And I'm sorry, Bill, I'm sorry, that's 26 seconds, you're out of time. I'm afraid Oko is now mandatory for all future Magic decks, and you didn't get your argument in there in time, I'm terribly sorry. Damn
0: it, (laughs) alright,
1: okay. Uh, What does Oko do, may I ask? I don't necessarily...
0: Oko is a three-mana Planeswalker, Mm -hmm. it has four loyalty, and it has three abilities. Mm -hmm. One ability is plus two create a food token, and a food token is an artifact you can pay to and sacrifice to gain 3 life.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: The second ability is to plus 1 and it will turn any creature or artifact on the battlefield into a 3-3 elk creature with no
1: abilities. Uh, Any creature on the whole battlefield including opponents? Yes. Okay.
0: And the final ability is minus six, and that allows you to exchange, I believe it's an artifact or a creature you control, for a creature the opponent controls that is three mana or less.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. And this uh, is, it sounds cool.
0: I, you know, I, I really, I would like to offer more context, but you know, I feel like I've already overstayed my welcome here on the Magic Minute. Honestly, I
1: think this has, I think it's, we've gone way past. It was Magic 26 seconds, and now it's way past Magic Minute. Yeah. And I think that I would need to ask more questions, and we would have to turn this in from Magic Minute into Magic uh, short discussion.
0: <laughs> That's not uh, why people we were are here, unfortunately. I, I wish they were here to talk about magic with me, but they're not. Mm-hmm. They are here to hear about video games and television shows featuring video games. So Cliff, thank you so much for helping me out with that.
1: It's my pleasure, Bill.
0: If you want people to find you anywhere, uh, in person or online, Cliff, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, You can find me at MrCliffO. And uh, I give infrequent, though enjoyable, tweets from a man that... Twitter describes as between the ages of thirteen and fifty-four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just at Mr. Cliffo. It's pretty good.
0: Well, uh, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're SoManyBits Bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at SoManyBits. Subscribe to us on iTunes, please rate and review or download from Simplecast from SoundCloud, from YouTube, or stream on Spotify. We play games twitch.tv slash so many bits Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Recently, I've played uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. I've played uh, the Sega Genesis Mini. I've played Control. So, you know, a bunch of different games on there. I'm also uh, present on Nerdlogs.com. so check out my podcast there, plus a bunch of other great nerdy podcasts. And lastly, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. Alright, so Oko... The thing that makes Oko so dangerous is that it really limits how much you can uh, spend mana-wise on playing a threat, because if you play something that costs, like, 6 mana, and it's big and beefy and it's got cool abilities, and Oko costs 3 mana and turns it into a 3-3, then... You lose out on a lot of uh, what's known as tempo, where basically you spent more to do your thing than your opponent did, which is not yeah. good.
1: No, you're you're investing more money and then you're losing opportunities there. You're basically burning things as a result of that. That makes sense.
0: And like on top of that, it can just even if you just leave it alone, it can make a food, and then it can make the food into a three-three. So every other turn you're getting a three-three, and that just that can be pretty potent on its own. And like the fact that it's so inexpensive, and that it's got that high loyalty, so four is pretty good loyalty for a planeswalker already. And then the first time you activate it, it's going to be at five or six. That's going yeah. to be like require multiple tax or like a pinpoint removal spell. It's it's difficult to interact with.
1: Interesting. Uh, yeah, I could see how that would be really challenging to work against. Because how are you supposed to? Get your foot in the door and stop it. If every single big thing that you're putting out is being immediately converted into something smaller, or being, or having, being taken control of, right?
0: Right. Yeah. You could even do that. You could steal your opponent's thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems like that would be really frustrating. None of this is going in the podcast, is it? No. No. <laughs>